We are on page, on the bottom of the page is 163. Bottom of the page is 163. And on the top it's Memhe. And we are a little bit more than halfway down the page. The line begins with the word Shebelibo. Drop more than halfway, Shebelibo. V'chol haguf. And that's where we're holding by that by those by the fourth word of af shemuhusa vatsmusa. You have it? Got it? What's the first word on the line? Shebelibo. Got it. Got it. And a few words in the fourth word. Okay. Um, very quick. What what have we been discussing? So we're talking about the significance of doing a mitzvah physically, actually, misa, action, even in relation to Torah study and tefillah. That's what we've been talking about last week. In other words, like this. The first part of the chapter talked about the importance of doing mitzvahs, learning Torah, davening, which is all mitzvahs, because it's doing Hashem's will. Versus we said feelings and loving Hashem and fearing Hashem, that's already feelings. But serving Hashem is doing His will, which is Torah and mitzvahs. We compare that to the oil, etc., that becomes the, uh, the fuel for the fire, the divine fire within, within a person. Okay. But within mitzvahs itself, there's action mitzvahs versus verbal or emotional mitzvahs. Why is it that Torah is so into action mitzvahs? <clears throat> so explain the following, an interesting concept, which is, when we learn verbally or in our minds, we are using our internal um, soul powers, machshava, thought, dibur, speech, and they are primarily godly soul functions. We're using our godly soul to study Torah and to daven. When we actually do something, when we take our hands and legs and we do a mitzvah physically, then we're using our body. And our body, the, the motor, if you will, the energy of our body is our animal soul. The godly soul is not the vital soul. It's too spiritual for that. It's the animal soul that actually controls us, that, that makes us move, just like, just like an animal, just like a human being, like a, a Jew, a non-Jew. Everyone has that basic vital soul. When we are forced to do a mitzvah with action, with our hands, with our feet, then what we're doing is we're getting our animal soul involved in the performance of the mitzvah. And that's the idea that he was saying. So that instead of only bringing godliness and kedusha into our godly soul, into the holy aspects of ourselves, we're transforming to a degree the animal within ourselves, the physicality within ourselves, and making that a vessel for Hashem, a keli for Kedusha. And that's why that is so important. That's what, basically, in, in, in a nutshell, what we learned last week. And now he continues from there. It says the following. Va'af shemehusa va'atzmusa shel nefesh shebelibo. Even though the essence of the animal soul in one's heart, shein midoseho haros, which are the, the bad midos of the animal soul, arrogance, anger, I don't know, all the, all the negative midos. Adayin lo nichlalu b'kedusha. We're still not included in kedusha. But the question is the following: So I did a mitzvah, I uh, gave tzedakah, put on tefillin, um, I visited the sick, whatever mitzvah I did, ate matzah and pesach. I did a mitzvah. So I, I got my animal soul involved, and I got my body involved, and I did the mitzvah. So one can argue, but did did the animal in me really change? Did I did my midos become refined? Right? Anyone, when we're honest with ourselves, we know we may have done a couple of mitzvahs or a lot of mitzvahs. That doesn't mean that we were refined. I might still be arrogant and I might still be angry or haughty or 
sheep or whatever other negative midos I have. So how are we saying that through the mitzvahs, godliness rests on the person if the midos of the animal soul weren't really transformed yet? Right, I mean, if you're sending stuff with an online check from Chase, is that really using your... Not even using your animals like so much. It's just like... so that's an interesting question. It's an interesting question because you're saying you just do it by clicking a button right. or whatever, so you didn't physically get involved in that. But the answer to that is, and he doesn't discuss that in this chapter. Time and effort he discusses it two chapters later. He has a different spin on it. He says, forget about the time and effort that it took to write the check. That check came from where? From work. From work. When you worked, you put your energies into it. This doesn't apply to you. <laughs> Does he have like it's just a, an open uh, flow? Yeah. No, people, yeah, like it's like. What is that? Mostly people are, other people are doing the work. Yeah, I float around the pool. Mostly. <laughs> we'll have a talk after class. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 need, I need to hear more about this concept. But uh, the, the typical way, the typical way where a person makes money is through work. And even if it's not physical labor, the mind is involved. In fact, typically work is where a person puts the most of their energy, whether it's physical energy, emotional energy, mind energy, power, what you, you know, fall asleep thinking about, what you wake up thinking about as you work. So when I'm sending off my checks, yeah, you're right, the actual writing of a check doesn't cost any money, or doesn't, I'm sorry, doesn't uh, take much energy, especially pushing a button, but that's only giving away real labor and real work that I put into it. And really, in, in a sense, and again, he's going to discuss this in chapter 37, but he says tzedakah really encompasses more of ourselves than anything else we do. Because tzedakah gives away, or is giving, from where our primary, primary energies lie. And that's the answer to that question. That I works. don't understand this question so much in regards to, like, is it really affecting it? Yes, very slightly, but that means something. And right. then the more you do, Affects the more it, it will more affect more. your animal right. soul. But what he's asking is, fine, but right now I have this coarse animal soul. And I'm doing a mitzvah. So is my animal soul right now a vessel for Hashem, for Kedusha? That's the question. The question is not, did I change totally as a person? But right, I want to say, we're trying to say, I did a mitzvah, so Hashem is now being brought into me. But I'm a very coarse individual. And my midos have a long way to go. So I did a mitzvah. Is Hashem going to be comfortable spending time with me now? That's sort of the question. And we'll see from the answer what he's going to say. But that, that's what he's bothered with. On the one hand, we're saying we do mitzvahs and we become this vessel for godly energy and divine energy and Hashem rests within us. In fact, we talk about, you know, we talk about the building of the Mishkan, the holy place for Hashem to rest. But famously, and you may have heard this uh, statement of Chazal, the, the verse where the Torah says to build a Mishkan, where's the mitzvah, says, Asuli mikdash, make for me a sanctuary. V'shachanti b'socham. I will rest amongst them. And in grammar, it should have said, V'shachanti b'socho. Make for me a tabernacle, I will rest within it. It says, make for me a tabernacle, and I will rest within them. Plural. So Chazal say, B'soch kol echad ve'echad. That yes, there's one tabernacle in the Mishkan, or one Beis HaMikdash in Yerushalayim. The point is that every person, and every person in their own life, and their own home, become a place for the divine, a, play, a godly place, a holy place, a better place. So again, so the question is, God is, with you, God, so God is always with everyone at every point in time, and right. yet it's up to us to bring it into ourselves in a way that it's more expressive, or that he feels more at home within ourselves, so to speak. 
um, the plus the uh, again, another point from the next chapter in Tanya is Hashem created this world with the intent that we should invite Him in. We should create a world where He feels comfortable in. So Hashem is always behind the scenes. You know, we're never we're never on our own. But whether He's going to be expressed, how do you know he's not comfortable? Because He tells us through His Torah what makes Him comfortable, what makes Him comfortable, where He likes being, what kind of midas He likes. He's looking for selflessness. He's looking for kindness. He's looking for goodness. Right. So the more we make ourselves that way, so that's the place where he says, I find myself. It's all about more and less revelation. Where is Hashem more revealed? You know, the Beis HaMikdash is Hashem's home. But isn't Hashem everywhere? So Hashem is everywhere, but there are the places where He's most manifest and most revealed. So we're saying that even though when you do the mitzvah, you do bring your nefesh hamamas, does it? But still, if it's not really transforming, right? Still what? Still, if it's not really just transforming it, then... So that's a question. We're just about the question. That's, that's, that's what he's asking. He's saying, even though the essence of the animal soul that's in the heart, which are the bad midos, were not yet included within Kedusha. So here he responds. Mikol makom, that's an acronym, the mem mem. Mikol makom, nevertheless. Me'achar di'iskafion le'kedusha. He's going to tell us a, a very beautiful and very powerful idea. Um, he says, nevertheless, the animal soul, when I'm doing a mitzvah, is iskafion. Iskafion is an Aramaic word, which means, um, in Hebrew we would say to be kofeh. It's uh, subdued. It's being subdued at that moment to kedusha. You looking for the translation there? What does it say? Submitted. Submitted? That's, good. That's okay. Uh, where is this? Since the, yes, since they have submitted to holiness. And against their will, they're answering Amin. Who's answering Amin? The animal soul. The animal soul is saying Amin to our mitzvah, whether it likes it or not. And that's really a playoff of Medrash. Um, you ever heard the Medrash about the two angels that show up Friday night to our home when we come home from Shul? We say, this, we say Shalom Aleichem, right? We greet the angels. Who are the angels that show up? So this is a medrash that I remember hearing when I was a child in Cheder. says that there's two angels that show up to a person's house Friday night when he comes up from shul. And one is a positive holy angel and one's a negative guy. And depending on what the house looks like. So if it looks like a Shabbos home um, and things are holy and things are set and things are the way this should be. So the godly, the spiritual angel gives a blessing next week again. And the other angel says, Amen. Because he has no choice. If there's a negative site that uh, meets someone who comes into the house, like pandemonium or something, that happens sometimes. So the negative angel says, next week again. And the positive angel says, amen. Again, that's a medrash. The point is, there is, we have within ourselves two energies. When we decide we're doing good, whether every part of us agrees with that or not, they're saying, amen. They're, they're forced to agree because we're one human being. I'm sorry, they're going with it. So they may not have changed drastically, but sometimes we force someone into doing something. And that forcing is some level of submission. And our animal soul submits. So again, we, we're, we're, we're not Sadiqim. We're regular people. And we have a situation. And we can go this way, and we can go that way. You know, yes, fill in the blanks. Uh, yes, get out of bed to go to Shachras in the morning or not. Simple as that. Simple struggle that uh, some people know what that means. Right? So when I decide yes, my animal soul comes along. 
Why does he come along? Because he's in for the ride, right? There's, that's it. So at that point, he becomes somewhat, how do you say before, a little? He said, subdued, subdued tempered, pushed down. He becomes a vessel for Kedusha. Did he really change fully? No. But a begrudging yes is a step in the right direction. And he goes on. He says, I lost my place. Where am I? Um, here it is. Umaskimin, they're maskim. Maskim means to agree. Umisratsin means to even start wanting. Lasias ha mitzvah to the performance of the mitzvah. Al yidei hisgabrus nafsho holokis shebemoch. Through the strengthening itself of the godly soul that's in the mind, sheshalit al halev, that has that level of um, of uh, shlita is. It dominates over the heart. In other words, and this is a, a, a Tanya concept, the mind dominates the heart. We have the ability as human beings that even if my heart is not interested in something, I can tell myself, I got to go there. I got to be there. And we do this all the time. We tell ourselves, you know, you got to behave. I want to do that, but that's wrong. It's bad. It's not good. It's against what I want to do. Or I don't want to go there, but I know that's the right thing and I'm going to go there. So basically what he's telling us is, Yes, I didn't totally change. But step by step, we're schlepping it in the right direction. And this is something that happens all the time, whether it's in ourselves, whether it's with others. You know, you, you talk to a, a child. Um, you know, I'm saying a child as far as education. child doesn't want something. And, and you push and you push and you push. And you get little steps. And those little steps are step by step. But every time a step is made in the right direction, there's some level of moving towards that right direction, some level of changing. And that's what he's saying, the same thing with us, with the child within ourselves, or the animal within ourselves, that we're training it. We're bringing Kedusha in, and is it fully a Balchuva? Maybe not. But step by step, it says Amen. It, it um, begrudgingly agrees to move in the right direction. Villa, and, and he says, furthermore, and then, but then there's certain like very negative aspects about us that they'll never say yes. So what happens when we do a mitzvah regardless of them? What about that little, the, the bad voice in me that doesn't want, the, 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 the klipa, the real unholiness within me? So he says, V'heim zu golus v'shina Which means, there's parts of me that I just put to sleep while I do the right thing. Because they never say yes. But I'm not listening to them right now. So they're in Golos. What, what is Golos? Exile. Exile. What, but exile, there's the big general exile of when we're out of Israel. But exile means when someone is not listened to, when someone's put in the corner and we say, you're right now not in charge. So sometimes I tell myself, you're not in charge and this is what I'm going to do. And that's the power that we have over ourselves to make decisions and carry through with them, even if there's a part of me that's kicking and screaming and doesn't want to. We probably do it all the time with our with our Yitzhara. I Meaning we put our pot, we put our... That's the thing. One of them is going to be... That's the truth. One of them is going to not get the rights. That, that's, the, that's the story of the human being. The story of the human being is that there's part of me that's really excited and inspired and holy and wants to do mitzvahs. There's part of me that just wants the other side. And it's a struggle. Now, it's not always a sad struggle, but it's a struggle. And therefore, what he's saying is that Part of my, when I'm doing the right thing, part of the animal soul comes along begrudgingly, slowly. And part of it 
doesn't want but kicking and screaming, it's, it's told, we tell ourselves that that's what I'm doing. Um, and sometimes, you know, when, again, the examples can be a million of them, but sometimes we have to, like, there's a part of me that's really not interested, but the, but the, the intellectual part of me and the spiritual part of me tells myself, this is, this is what I decided and I'm going to stand by that. And that's the concept of Moach Shalat Alev, that the mind is, has the ability to overpower the heart. Um, I, mentioned, I mentioned that next Tuesday is the yard site of the Balatanya, passed away on the 24th of Tevis. So he actually passed away in a very interesting, and you were just by his gravesite, mm-hmm. right, a couple of weeks ago, right, in Hadich. Yep. Like many people are going now for this weekend to be there because this is his yard site. Like my mother-in-law leads a group of like 90 um, girls from her seminary and whatever to ha- she went, she's in Ukraine already she went for this week for the yard site where do they stay when that hotel fills up <laughs> I don't know all the ins and outs um, my daughter would know she was there the last three yard sites the last three consecutive years this year right. she's not so she'll know but I don't um, but what I wanted to say is he passed away he passed away in a very interesting situation he didn't pass he had it she's in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. right which you know if you were there I was never there what was he doing in Hadish? That's I'm not. Sorry, I feel bad. That I had no right to be there if you weren't there. You definitely did. Uh, I'm a Kohen. For me, oh, these things are more difficult. But but anyhow, what was he doing there? He was the rabbi in Liajnar Liadi. I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of miles away. What's he doing in Hadish? So the story is he was running away then from Napoleon. Did you hear about that? Not no. So Napole- Napoleon was at war with Russia, right? And there was this huge argument amongst the Hasidic rabbis, which is, who do we pray for, Napoleon or, or Tsarist Russia? Because Tsarist Russia was bad to the Jews, always. Ghettos and all this bad stuff. Napoleon promised emancipation and freedom and whatever. So San Sadiqim said, we've got to pray for Napoleon, Napoleon's got to win. The Balatanya said, no, no, Chas Shalom. He says, we've got to pray for Tsarist Russia. Because... Napoleon will be good for us physically and will give us freedom and that will bring to assimilation, that will bring to uh, apicursus and he says it will be the worst thing for the Jewish people. So the Alter Rebbe took a very active involvement in helping the Tsarist Russia with whatever he could, prayed for him, but he did a lot more than praying. He actually sent some of his greatest Hasidim to be spies for the Russian army. Mm-hmm. So Napoleon wasn't too happy. So Napoleon knew this. So when they came into Russia, initially they were able to break into Russia, they went right after the Alter Rebbe, and he, and he had to leave. And he was running with a number of wagon loads of Hasidim, and he had Russian soldiers escorting them, and he got sick on the way, and he passed away. In this little tiny place called um, Piena, where there wasn't even a, a cemetery, so they brought him to Hadish, and they buried him there. Right? But one of his Hasidim, who was a spy for the, for the, a spy for the Russians, his name was Reb Moshe. I'm pretty sure, I hope I'm not making a mistake, especially being that it's being recorded. But I think it was Reb Moshe. Was it Reb Moshe Meisels? You know what? I'm, I'm sorry. We I, could just say Reb Moshe. It was definitely Reb Moshe. <laughs> Meisels? Vilenkin? You know what? I'm not remembering right okay. now. Sorry about that. But Reb Moshe was a brilliant man, and he was very fluent in many languages. And he, and he was able to get in, to infiltrate into Napoleon's armies, and he became a, a, uh, a map reader for them. And he was well-versed with the Russian terrain, and he knew the languages, and he was able to work with the top generals of Napoleon. 
And they're sitting, they're strategizing in the strategy room. And one time, Napoleon comes running into the room. Napoleon himself. And he sees this chassid there by the table looking at the maps. <laughs> Napoleon runs over to him and says, you're a spy. And he puts his hand right on his chest, Napoleon, to see if, he, if his heart was beating heavy. And that, that second could have been the end of his life, easily. He remained perfectly calm. Spy up here working for the army, whatever, whatever. And later he said that it was Tanya that saved my life. Because Tanya teaches how the mind can be in perfect control over mm-hmm. the heart. He said, I had such control over my heart that my heart didn't skip a beat when I was accused of treason by Napoleon. Which was really correct. Which was correct. He was a spy. Mm-hmm. But here you have, you're being accused by the actual uh, monarch, whatever he was called. And he could have you put to death in a second. He said, his heart didn't skip a beat. Perfect composure. He says it was Tanya. He says, Tanya taught me how to be in such control that no matter what the heart feels, the mind controls me. <laughs> story. But, um, and that's, and Altareva passed away in that, uh, in that whole crazy story of Napoleon. But it's, a be- it's very pretty where he's buried. It's on the river. Yeah. My daughter lives with it. She, it's her profile picture on her WhatsApp. Everything is by the Altareva's cover. She like, this is her. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a, a special place. You know, a lot of, all my friends, most of my friends who were there, they said, like, that's where they had, like, the greatest connection on the whole trip. Really? And, and most of them ha- don't have any, like, connection to Chabad, really, or very little. I, mean, I don't know if it was just because it was, like, the end of the trip, but, like, there was something there that people felt a great connection. I'll tell you, you know, at the end, I'll tell you a beautiful story about the Altarabbis cover, but first let's try, I want to finish the pairing. So he says, again, we're about six lines at the bottom. The line starts with Bibichinas. He says, Vilakach, and therefore, being that the animal soul gets pulled along and it agrees and it submits, therefore, Enzuminia, this does not withhold, Mehashras Hashchina Al Gufa Odom This, the fact that the soul, the animal soul is not transformed and we didn't become perfect people, nevertheless, that does not hold back the resting of the Shechina. Of the divine presence on the body of a person, Bishazu, and at this time when a person does a mitzvah. Dahainu, which means in practical words, Shakoyach Nefeshachiyunis, that the energy of the vital soul, Hamalubish Basias Hamitzvah, that's enclosed in the performance of a mitzvah. Who Nichlal Mamish Ba'ir Hashem becomes fully included within the light of Hashem, umiyuchad bay, and becomes unified with it, biyichud gomur, with a perfect unity. When one is actually doing a mitzvah. Val and through this, through the fact that the energy that one expends in a mitzvah, through this, mamshich ha'ara, leklolus nefesh hachiyunis shebechal through this, one is able to draw down a ray, so to speak, of Hashem, to the general and a vital soul that's in the entire body, even the physical body, in a transcendent way, from head to foot. Which means in simple, in simple words, that when a person is involved in doing a mitzvah, whatever mitzvah it is, what he's really doing is drawing down godliness in a very specific way, on the energy that he's expending in doing the mitzvah, and in a more transcendent way, on the, entire per, on the entire body of the person, that the person at that moment is, is surrounded, is included, is unified with Hashem, with Hashem's light in this world. 
That is the concept. Yes. So if you do a mitzvah that requires much more physical thing, is that like a bigger deal? Yes. Because you're the mitzvah. Yes, yes. Because you're expending more energy there. So more of you, more of you is getting involved in that mitzvah. And that's 100% true. And that's why we have the concept, Jewish people, when they daven and learn, what do they do typically? They shuckle. Where does that come from? Ever noticed? It's a like, thing that we like, sort of always do. And Where does it come from? What's the, what's the shaking all about? And there's different answers. You ever thought about that? You ever heard? Why do we shuckle when we learn, when we daven, when we shwan esrei? What's going on? So, <laughs> burn calories, which is very important as a Jewish person, without a doubt, uh, to, you know, to offset all the yom tovim and all the things. Um, I once heard something, I don't know if this is true at all, but I heard that in the olden days, they, they had very few books, very few sidurim, very few svarim, so they were constantly moving over and let the other guy look. So, like, <laughs> you know, this way and that way, you know, it was the whole thing. But the Zohar says that it is all about expending energy in doing a mitzvah. To get yourself fully involved. We're not just like, uh, you know, my mind learning and my mind davening. We get fully involved. We get fully excited and involved. We say in davening, All of my limbs, I want to get involved in my davening. What if your body is in one place with your hands in another place? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you're filling up, you're thinking about doing it in favor. So what's your question? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like you, you, got, you got yourself your primary controller got you to the dominating, but then but then there's the head. There's the head. You're part. not there, right? So you left. to have the tefillin on is still a mitzvah, right? So it's a, it's a great question because there's really we're, we're complicated people and and we have things going on. Part of me is doing a mitzvah. Part of me is elsewhere altogether. You know, right? You know, they tell a story about the rabbi walked over to the congregation at the end of davening. He was a big shalom aleichem. He's like, you just said hello before davening. He says, you know, but I noticed since then you've traveled a lot. <laughs> you know? So I'm welcoming you back. You know, Thank you for coming back for the Kiddush. But um, so the interesting thing is one doesn't take away from the other. Now, the fact, we're in Tefillin as a mitzvah. The mitzvah is not canceled because there's something negative going on as well. At the same time, my head flying in different places is obviously not, not a positive thing, especially if they're negative places. And that's something we have to work on as well. So just like I work on putting on the tefillin, I also have to work on trying to, to focus, to focus, to focus and keep my attention there. Um, and the mitzvah is more complete with the more of my faculties that are involved in it. Um, not saying that if my mind wandered, the tefillin is not a mitzvah. That wouldn't be correct either. The tefillin is a mitzvah, and yet my mind has to be controlled as well. And that's something else I have to work on. And that's it's a, probably a very, not probably, it is an extremely common Difficulty, because focus is not an easy thing for anybody at any point. To focus, whether it's in learning, whether it's in davening, whatever it is, our mind wanders and moves very quickly. So perhaps perhaps it's harder to control the mind than to control the hand. Because the hand is more physical. You know, you wrap it and you're there and that's done. The mind is less physical and is more agile of being everywhere at the same time. And that's something you have to work on as well, should I say. But but one does not cancel the other. That's That's true as well. Yeah. So I'm um, just like a lot of the mitzvahs you're doing. It's not like um, it's not like it's so it's not like lifting weights and like putting it on. So like what are we just focusing like that that small mindset? No, it's it's not like a big physical, right. hard right. physical thing. Right. But we're just saying that whatever strength you needed to wrap the tefillin in exactly now the physical down. energy of our goof is getting involved in mitzvahs. But you're right. So when a fine, person that's, not, that's fine, you're not supposed to like. 
you know, get heavier tefillin to put more effort into it. <laughs> right. But but you know, but on the other hand, there's there's davening and there's davening, right? And there comes some chasara, there's dancing and there's dancing. You know, you can you can walk around, you can get fully involved in it. And really everything is that way. You know, again, davening. You could daven and you can get involved and you can get really involved. And a lot of that getting involved is actual physical energy. You know, you, you could you can get really involved and put yourself fully into it. Whether it's davening, whether it's Torah study, whatever whatever myths uh, is going on. Let's retain tefillin. What are we exactly saying? That just the, the the small amount of energy that it takes to go like this, now that's going to Hashem? Yeah, that energy is getting totally involved and that brings Hashem to my entire animal soul. That's just the, that brings it to me in general as a person. It's interesting, the Alter Rebbe himself, famously, when he would daven, he would just, we all, he, just, he, his, he would lose himself. To the extent, yeah, many times he would bang into the walls and start bleeding, and he didn't notice because he was davening. So this is going to sound funny, but they padded the walls around him. In his shul, where he davened, they had to pad the walls because he was uh, hurting himself. He totally, totally lost any conscience. It was interesting, but his son... And successor was the opposite. He dived on like a stone. Move for hours. Concentration. That was so, his, his, his son, Dovber, mm-hmm. the second Rebbe of Chabad. Um, there's there's seven, 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 seven. Seven. Right. Okay, last line over here. Last couple of words on the page. V'zehu shekosuf. Deshchinta sharia al Going back to the Zohar that we mentioned in the beginning of this chapter, that that sort of means that the Shechina, I, t- I turn now on, the, on page 165 on the bottom, 90 on the top, it says the Shechina rests on one's head. Right? We talked about, remember the, uh, you, you said you said that over many times, the, uh, the candle, that a person is like a wick, and the godly light is like the fire, and the oil is the mitzvah. So we say that the Shechina, that the divine present rests on one's head, al-daika, on top of the head. We have another concept that in every ten people there is the, the, the Shechina rests, the divine presence rests when there is a minion. All of that is a general, transcendent godliness that rests in a place of holiness. So whether I'm doing an actual mitzvah, whether I'm just um, whether I'm part of a minion, um, at whatever point um, I'm bringing the Shechina into myself. And he finishes the chapter with a very interesting interchange in the Gemara. Very interesting question, which is like this. Okay, so I did a mitzvah, I brought the Shechina on me. You did a mitzvah, you brought the Shechina on you. A minion came together and brought the Shechina down. Does all this create any type of multiplicity in Hashem? Like a lot of Shechina is going on, a lot of Hashem. There's Hashem in the shul and Hashem in the house. And today there is Hashem, tomorrow there isn't Hashem. Is all this creating any changes, so to speak, in Hashem? Funny type of question. Funny. Does Hashem change because of our mitzvahs? That He become? Does He expand? Yeah. Does He get bigger? Does He get smaller? So yes, that's what you said. But on the other hand, we do say in His basic point, Ani Hashem lo shanisi. Hashem says He has this basic state of permanence. So how do we reconcile? Are we? Do we create change in Hashem? Don't we create? So He quotes an interesting interchange in the Gemara. One of the things that, you know, Gemara. There's all different types of things there. And it's a lot of halacha, but there's also a lot of just stories. And this, this, some of them are very bizarre when you, when you read the Gemara and need a lot of explanation. But one of the things that you have is the sages of the Mishnah would many times debate uh, heretics. 
There's all different types of heritage, you know, early, this time of early Christians, early Christianity, and all types of things. And a lot of deb- the Gemara talks about a lot, of de- a lot of debates, very interesting ones. So in one such debate, there was a heretic who approaches Rabban Gamliel. Rabban Gamliel is one of the greatest leaders of the Jewish people. He led us uh, right after the destruction of the Second Holy Temple. So the, and the, the, uh, the heretic asked him exactly this. He says, you guys say, wherever there's a shul, the shechina rests. Wherever there's a minion. So how many shechinas do, do you guys have? How many gods? And of course, a basic tenet of, of Jewish faith is the oneness of Hashem. So Rabbi Gamliel gave him a very interesting um, parallel, um, example or analogy. And he says, if you have a house and the uh, shades are drawn, so it's dark, and then you open up the shades, you open the window, and suddenly the sunlight comes into the house. And then next door, someone opens the shades and the sunlight comes into that house. So now this house is illuminated, that house is illuminated. Did the sun change? Is there more sun because there's more houses with their shades drawn? Said Rabbi Gavliel, of course not. There's one sun and the sun shines. Where you let him in, that's where he'll be. So he says, of course, when we have a minion or when I perform a mitzvah and I bring Hashem into me, there isn't. Hashem didn't get bigger now. I opened a window that allowed Hashem into me. So me as a person, me as a shul, me as a home, I opened a window to Hashem's light. And that's what Rabbi Gamaliel said, which is very, very insightful. Because on the one hand, he's saying Hashem doesn't change. But on the other hand, he's saying that when we do a mitzvah, we're bringing Hashem into ourselves. Like a, a house that's dark doesn't have sunlight. Open the window shade, it has sunlight. Sun didn't change, but this house now is illuminated by the sun. And the same is with the mitzvahs that we do. When we bring the Shekhinah into ourselves, what we're really doing is, we're not changing Hashem, but we're opening a window for Hashem into ourselves and into our homes and into our neighborhoods wherever we're bringing Hashem into. And that's what he finishes the chapter with. And then the second line right after the period. says, All of these different types of drawing down the light of the Shekhinah. <coughs> Which all of this is the revelation of the infinite light of Hashem. All of this does not constitute a change, heaven forbid, within Hashem. And the reason he says heaven forbid, again, is because the verse says, God says, I don't change. Hashem is. Rather, And it's not a, multi- it's not a multiplicity. It's not a lot. It's not many Hashems. Kedisa b'Sanhedrin. As is written in the Gemara and Tractus Sanhedrin, the Amar Hahu Mina Lerabban Gamliel. There was a heretic who approaches Rabban Gamliel. Interesting when you whenever you see Rabban, most of the Tanoim and I don't know Rebbe, right? Rebbe Yishmael, Rebbe Shimon, Rebbe Meir. Who is Rabban? So Rabban was the Nasi. Whenever you have the Nasi, that's Rabban. So Rabban Gamliel was the Nasi at the time. So he says the heretic came to Rabban Gamliel and he says. Amritu, you say, kol shchinta sharia. Wherever you have ten men together, you have the shchina, the divine presence. Kama shchinta islechu. How many shchinas do you people have? Says the heretic to Rabban Gamliel. Veheshivlo, and he answered him, mashol the with the example meir hashemesh from the light of the sun hanichnas bechaloines rabim chulu that's able to enter into many different types of windows. And to the many different types of portals. As long as you open a way for it to come in, the Hamaskil Yavin, one who thinks into this, will understand and will understand the concept of what really happens 
when we allow Hashem into ourselves and into our bodies and into our animal souls through the mitzvahs, through Torah, through a minion, and that's all about opening up those windows within ourselves for Hashem to come in. So this is the end of chapter 35, which uh, a, a very basic fundamental point of it was the significance of action, significance of bringing it down to the physical realm, because the more we bring it down in the physical realm, the more we actually bring the Shekhinah into ourselves, even into the most physical parts of ourselves, making every part of ourselves a vessel for Hashem's, for Hashem's Shekhinah, for Hashem's divine life. And that's chapter 35. I think we'll stop here. We'll uh, do we'll, we'll 36 next week. Um, but if you have couple, uh, sure. a few moments, I'll tell you a story about the Alpi Rebbe, um, especially, again, we're learning his Sefer and in honor of his Yarsite this week. story goes like this. Um, how I know the story is a story for itself. I'll skip that story. Again, I know it, it's. I know it's a first-hand story. I know from the person, the person who told it to me heard it from the from the Balamaisa. So stories like this it was in the 1980s, and there was a gentleman. It was 1980s was just when the Russian uh, what's it called the Iron Curtain was falling with uh, what is called Pedestroika, whatever it was. So he had a, a businessman, a firm guy from Washington Heights, somewhere there in New York, and he came to Russia and he was doing some business over there. He was able to get in. And he walked into a shul, and he sees an elderly man sitting learning Gemara. He starts talking to him, and he recognizes this is, you know, he's already retired, and he just sits in the shul and learns. That's basically what he does. And he says, why would you stay here in Russia? Now you're able to get out. You know, this is not a place of Yiddishkeit. We were talking about in, 1980, in the late 1980s. So now you're able to get out, go to Israel, go to America, go to a place where the shuls, where there's Yidin, where there's this. The guy looks at him and says, I'm not leaving Russia. This, I'm very happy here. This is where I'm going to stay. So, okay, no problem. <laughs> Fine, but, but perhaps you'll share with me what is it that enamors you about this place? Because he was clearly, he was a, an elderly Yid that all he cared about was learning, Torah, davening. So he says, what enamors me, I'll tell you. She says it was many years ago. It was, I believe, in the 1930s. I was a young man, and I had gotten married. And my wife and I were married a number of years, and we didn't have children. It bothered us tremendously, and we tried what we could. We couldn't have children. To the extent we decided we were going to divorce. We loved each other. Everything was fine. But it wasn't, this wasn't working. And before I was going to go through with it, someone told me that there's a Rebbe uh, close by, you should go visit him. You know, it's such a big decision, go visit a Rebbe. And who was it? It was the previous Rebbe of Chabad, his name was Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak. He was the one who was imprisoned by the Russians in 1927. He was, whatever, ultimately he came to America in 1940. But he at that time was in Leningrad. So this gentleman, who's telling the story in the shul, goes to the previous Rebbe with his wife in the 1930s. Am I being clear so far? Mm-hmm. And he says... The Rebbe says, yes, he says, Rebbe, we have to tell you, we've come to you because we're at a difficult point and we decided we're going to divorce. The Rebbe said, why? He says, well, we've been a number of years together, didn't have any children, and we both want to have children, and we want to give each other the opportunities. He says, the oddest thing, the Rebbe looks at me and he says in Yiddish, he says, so because you, you didn't have children, so you're going to divorce? And the Rebbe starts laughing, as if I had said a joke. <laughs> He's laughing. And I didn't know what to do. I was standing over there. And the Rebbe was like laughing as if I had said that most hilarious thing. And then the Rebbe finished. And I said, Rebbe, was alichtan. So, so what should I do? So he says, you don't have children? So you go to our grandfather in Hadich, meaning the Alter Rebbe, mm-hmm. Davin, and you'll have children. Like, like don't you know? <laughs> like, she said, so, so that's what I did. I went with my wife, and we went to Hadich, and we prayed our hearts out. 
And guess what? We had one child and a second. We had a couple of children. So the old man of the show said, I'm not leaving a country that has a place that's so holy that if I had a request, I went there and, and it, was, it happened. So that's why I'm here. That's what he told the businessman. Businessman says, okay, great story. Gets on the plane, heads back to America. And the way he's thinking over the story, you know, he realizes he has a daughter who lives in Lakewood, who's married, and they don't have children either. Says, you know, this sounds like an idea. Comes back to Lakewood. Calls his daughter and says, listen, I was in Russia. I met an old guy in a shul. He told me the story that happened, I don't know, 50 years ago. Um, the ticket's on me. You and your husband and me, we're going back to Russia. We're going to Hadish. And we're davening. And that's what he did. He said it wasn't easy to go then. He had to hire security, whatever. And he went to Hadish. They davened. And they had a few children. And the, the father of this child is the one who... And I hear the story from... I have an uncle and a grandfather who met the father of the one who had these children. And that's the and nice thing. Yeah. Of this guy. Not the old man in Russia. Right. The, the guy who visited the old man in Russia who took then his children to, uh, to Russia and went to Hadish and the Davin and the Yosef. Wow. And it's the Chus of the Balatanya.